and putting a sock on it. Put a sock on it. Put a sock on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all sucked up. <sighs> You do know I'm notorious for having a sock on my cock and walking into rooms. <laughs> At least there's something on there. Yeah. And sometimes he doesn't bother with the sock. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it's a baby sock, obviously. I have a few photographs with those stickers over them when you get them back from the developers, for those of us who remember things before digital photographs. Are you sure you want to take a picture of his cock? <laughs> I love how we're straight in the cock. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Welcome to episode 92 of the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are Andy Chandler, Ian McLaughlin, Carrie Skipson, Peter Johnson, and I'm Hazel Chandler. On today's show, we've got a delightful and varied array of new recommendations for you from the world of TV and film. Plus, as we've been away for a couple of weeks, Andy has got a quiz to get our minds warmed up and as nerdy as they ever were. So, let's start the show. You owe me a fiver, John. She went through with it. (laughs) (laughs) When did you make that bet? (laughs) Wouldn't be gentlemanly to say. (laughs) (laughs) so how's married life treating you i'm happy hazel you yeah it's all right (laughs) (laughs) a resounding recommendation are you bored yet (laughs) no um andy actually promised in his vows that we would never be boring um and we would always go on adventures and be fun and so far so good it's been seven days and um, we've gone on a bit of an adventure. We went to Edinburgh for our mini moon, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. And um, Dan came along. <laughs> I was going to say for the ride. <laughs> Bad choice of rides. Dan lives in Edinburgh. We went and spent yeah. some time with him. There was three in the bed and little one said, hello, I'm Dan. <laughs> we had an amazing wedding, which was very nerdy. It was beautiful. Yeah. The vows were the nerdiest <laughs> vows you could possibly have. Yes. They were beautiful. <laughs> you know, when you have an idea and you get it into your brain and you're like, well, we have to do this now. It was one of those kind of things. There is a improv game called Cliffhangers. Before the show starts, when the audience walk in, they write down a line of dialogue on a piece of paper, and those lines of dialogues are used in a scene. The players go to the bowl and pick a piece of paper and have to read out whatever is written on them and seamlessly work it into their sentences. So we thought, ooh, we could do that for our vows. (laughs) (laughs) So we asked our guests to write down lines of dialogue, words of wisdom that could potentially be included in the vows. And four or five times during our vows that we read to each other, we headed to the bowl and we picked up pieces of paper and read out whatever was written on there. I will say (laughs) some worked better than others. (laughs) My favourite has to be, um, I was saying something to Andy along the lines of, you make me so happy and whenever I look at you. And then I headed to the bowl. Written on there in glorious words were, it's a trap. (laughs) (laughs) That worked really well. (laughs) Andy got one about a walking carpet from Star Wars and he very chivalrously turned it around and made it all about himself rather than (laughs) risking saying that about you, which was very sweet. I thought it was a good time to be nice. 
Um, but <laughs> I figured that it's much more believable if I'm the walking carpet. Yeah, we've got some great ones. Ian and his lovely partner Bev gave us a wonderful present. We asked Ian and Bev if they would do a reading or their interpretation of a reading. Um, we said we don't want to know anything about it, just surprises and oh they did and it was wonderful uh what did you do ian we rewrote the words to the hamilton song i'll be back <laughs> to reflect a long long time together and how you might feel in 40 odd years <laughs> i'm sure you'll never have an argument in your entire lives but if you do just remember that song <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant they were in character from the moment they stood up um when they were like oh you go there you go there you go there oh and it's been like this for 39 years and bev corrected them by saying Forty-one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. it was amazing. It. Loved it. You're going to have to send us the lyrics to that. We will do. Yeah. <laughs> I said this to you as I was leaving, and I meant it. It was the nicest wedding I've ever been to. Aww. There's so much of your personality in it. That's what we kind of wanted to do. We wanted to create moments and experiences, and something that was unique to us. And yeah, I think I think we achieved that. Oh, should probably stop being so self-indulgent. <laughs> Stop talking about yourself, Hazel. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, thank Congrats. you very much. Yes. Thank you. From us and I'm sure all the listeners. Thank you very much. Should we do some recommendations? Ooh, yes, let's. Ooh, who would like to go first? My recommendation for this podcast is the Netflix documentary Count Me In. With the passing of uh, the dour-faced genius and backbeat in the Rolling Stones, Charlie Watts, uh. this timely Netflix documentary celebrates the linchpin of every rock band, The Drummer. It is a wonderful look into the minds and passions of the tub-thumpers, can-bashers and pan-lid hitters we've all come to know and love. And it's a stellar lineup of drummers, including Clem Burke, Stuart Copeland, Emily Dolan-Davies, Taylor Hawkins, Topper Heaton, Nick Mason, Rat Scabies and Roger Taylor, just to name but a few. And really kind of concentrates on, on the rock and jazz drummers that have inspired generations of rhythm kings and especially queens. And this is what I like about this uh, documentary. It really celebrates women who have made their mark for themselves in a traditionally male-dominated world. It's very clear from the start that drumming is a passion bug that you catch early in life. As they recall the moment they were given a drum kit at the age of four or snuck into Big Brother's bedroom at the age of 13 to hit the shit out of skin-covered barrels, you realise, this is what I want to do. <laughs> and there's loads of wonderful concert footage. And my second favourite drummer, Keith Moon, gets an extended section to remember his unique playing on and off stage. It's all great, but what you get to is this unique shared sense of humour and genuine childish awe that they have for their art. Mm. Now, they didn't mention my favourite drummer, Neil Peart from Rush, but I'll forgive them as they got my heart beating in time with the odd syncopation and paradiddle. Points out of four. One, two, three, four. <laughs> wow. That sounds awesome. It is great. It's a great documentary. Really, mm. really uplifting. It's fantastic. My dad is uh, a drummer um, instead of being a proper musician. Uh, so he'll probably <laughs> really enjoy that. Um, but uh, that's, I think that's right, right up my alley as well. And I think there's going to be some awesome stories in there. That sounds brilliant. Highly recommended. Yeah, I'm going to watch that. We were talking before we started recording about uh, Sound of Metal, and I think that film might have given a new appreciation for uh, drumming as well, um, even though that wasn't really what the film was about, but um, uh, absolutely amazing film. It was a brilliant film, wasn't it? Yeah. Whiplash is also a brilliant film. About oh, that was really, really good. I love Whiplash. So you mentioned Keith Moon's offstage performances, shall we say. 
Yes. Is there a lot of uh, rock and roll excess kind of documented in this? Only really with Keith Moon. The rest of it is much more about the passion for drumming, but it was uh, he was such a unique drummer and, and such a car wreck, and everyone knew from early on that he wasn't going to get past 40. In fact, they even say that at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm. All these things you hear about, you know, throwing TVs out the window and wrecking hotel rooms. He's actually show you the car. I mean, it's unbelievable. There's even shit on the walls and things like that. It's just ridiculous. And then like, several Rolls Royces in swimming pools. And it's just, yeah. The, the amount of energy he put into his drumming, he also put into living at the same time. And that was bound to come to a bad end for him. Mm-hmm. But he, a, a unique drummer, really unique drummer. Mm. So, and the, the great bits are the, the sort of the excess of the 80s with Motley Crue, where they had the drum kit in a big cage that spun around upside down and round and round in circles on stage. <laughs> oh, wow, like, yeah. really? Ridiculous <laughs> excess of drummers. Yeah, it's very funny. I've seen Motley Crue live and they were fucking awful, I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> they, they had a thing where uh, Tommy Lee's drum kit was attached to a slow-moving roller coaster, it looked like, and he got strapped into a harness and then just lifted up over the crowd and um yeah yeah uh, it was it was an impressive feat but he wasn't really doing much playing so it was more just 25 minutes of watching a drum kit just slowly hovering around and being bored <laughs> and wishing alice cooper would come back because he was the opener at the end of the documentary is really great because they get several of the drummers Reynolds drummers to get together to do a jam together in this in this little recording studio and you've got like eight people playing eight different drum kits and they are so in sync with each other it's out of this world Absolutely out of this world. Incredible. What do you think is the greatest drum solo of all time? Probably um, Led Zeppelin. Whole lot of love. Solo in the middle of that is just with the symbols and it just grows and it's ethereal and oh, it's beautiful. Like I say, it's not definitive, but it made me smile. And where can people watch that documentary? That is on the Netflix. Awesome. Cool. Watch that. Thank you, Ian. All right, who is next? I would love to tell you all about brand new cherry flavour. This is like American Horror Story has teamed up with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's a series based on a novel of the same name set in LA in the 90s about a young woman called Lisa Nova who tries to make it as a filmmaker until she's consumed by rage. There's lots of witchcraft and weirdness. It's beautiful and nightmarish, and I really want to be in it. (laughs) (laughs) This is quite a regular occurrence with your recommendations. I wish I was in it. (laughs) I wish I was getting murdered. (laughs) But that's just what I want. (laughs) (laughs) Catherine Keener plays a tattoo artist called Borrow, and I'm desperate to be her daughter. (laughs) You feel a sense of all the nuances of fear, home and consequences. And what they've done is they've turned revenge into art. And the superficialities of Hollywood cannot save you from the demons that everybody has. Hmm. Nobody's innocent. Nobody's safe. I made the mistake of becoming obsessed with this when I have a weekend with the house to myself. I've been really tripping out. There's this very creepy creature that's like a sandbag and it's it's really weird. And yeah, Ian, a sandbag. It's a terrifying sandbag. A sandbag. A sandbag. Oh, and there's cats. Do you, do you want to explain how the cats arrive? 
<laughs> or is that too much of a spoiler problem? I don't want to spoil it. I'm assuming the cats had a lovely, lovely time lovely. and no harm came to them whatsoever. I was stroking the cat as I was watching this going, yes, 11, one day we'll be in LA in the 90s together. <laughs> 11 being the name of your cat after yes. <laughs> the character from Stranger Things. Yep. One day we will rule it. <laughs> How many of them have you watched? Oh, I'm up to episode six out of eight. And it's it's just so beautiful. It's just a gorgeous... <laughs> Only you, Karis. It's Only just you. such a gorgeous show. It's starting to really escalate. And I love that sense of when you get really into a show that you love and you finish an episode and you wonder how everybody's going to get out of what they've built for themselves. I miss that feeling. Mm-hmm. I had that in a while. You shouldn't have got married then, should you? <laughs> 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 Nothing's ever going to be new again. Oh, oh. Well. <laughs> I am kidding. <laughs> Marriage is great. <laughs> yeah, for about a week. <laughs> I love how you describe um, that they've made revenge into an art form. Like, mm-hmm. can maybe you could expand on that um, and tell like what you mean. The main character, Lisa Nova, goes to Borrow and she asks for her help to take revenge on somebody. And Borrow explains everything is personal. No client is different from another client. There's this lovely thing where Catherine Keener says, I want you to get inside his head, imagine that you're in his house and you break something. Slightly more disturbingly, she says inside him, which obviously freaks out everybody. (laughs) Get inside him and break something. (laughs) There's something just very personal about her Mm -hmm. very strong, deep craving to hurt him. You want to hate him just as much as she does, but then you see all the aspects of his character and his vulnerabilities, that he's got a family, you know, he's more than the worst thing that he's done, which all people Mm -hmm. are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This really explores the concept of good and evil. Like, There's no all good and all evil. Mm -hmm. She's constantly taking one step forward and two steps back with what she wants to do to him. Yeah. And it's it's just interesting because there's a lot of sides to anger and vulnerability. Mm -hmm. You get kind of flickers of what's happening in Boro's world going on in the background. She's got many other people that she's also helping with revenge. Revenge is a service. Mm -hmm. I've only seen the first episode, which I watched last night. One thing I know is that the lead is Rosa Salazar who I've generally only seen with CG or various other things over her because she was the lead in uh, Alita Battle Angel and also in Undone, where Mm -hmm. it was kind of rotoscoped from the real actors. It's unusual to actually see what she looks like, even though I've seen her acting in quite a few things already. But she's really good in the lead role. It starts very much like One Time in Hollywood in a tale of an ingenue learning how the Hollywood system works and being fucked over by it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I can imagine it goes weird and deranged places that Keris would enjoy fairly quickly after that first episode. It's so good. Chef's kiss. And and the other guy you recognise straight away is uh, Manny Jacinto, Jacinto, I don't know how you pronounce it, from The Good Place. Mm-hmm. who played the, the monk. Oh, yes. yes. He's great in this. It, it took me, um, I think, two episodes to realise where he was from. And I quite like seeing him as someone a little bit different, a bit, a bit more well-rounded. It's always good when you see someone who makes a really strong impression as a character appear totally differently in something else. Yeah. yeah. And you appreciate, oh, they're acting. That's not just how they naturally are. <laughs> yeah. So like the guy who plays Roy Kent in Ted Lasso. Brett Goldstein. Yeah, you oh. imagined him going around the world like that all the time, and I gather yeah. he totally doesn't. 
far be it for me to recommend another film podcast, but I've just started listening to Films I Want to Be Buried With with Brett Goldstein, and he is brilliant. I'm going to keep talking about Ted Lasso just to piss John off. Um, <laughs> but he's he's a writer as well as being the actor for, behind Roy Kent, and he loves his movies. So he gets a guest on and he asks them a series of questions about, and well, he tells them that they've died. Um, and then he asks them about uh, their life through the movies that they've watched. Brilliant, brilliant podcast. So after you've listened to this, check that one out if you haven't already. I'm going to just go now and listen to it. Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye, Kerry. <Kate. See> <laughs> Drop a recommendation and run. So how many um, cats appearing from strange places you don't want to know about <laughs> out of 10 would you give this? Oh, no. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Is it something that I would be able to watch? I, I can't watch anything where there's animal cruelty. I wouldn't describe it as animal cruelty because... It's more cruel to her than the animal. It's crueler to her. Like the, I haven't seen an animal get hurt, mm -hmm. but she produces cats. Mm. <laughs> and I watched a couple of episodes and I thought, oh God, I love how mad it is. It's so good. It can't get any weirder. And it did. <laughs> I would give this nine squeezed out cats out of ten. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Genuinely, actually, I want to. I want to. I want to watch that. You've sold it to me. Great. I don't know how, but you've sold it. To me. <laughs> <laughs> now you know. Every time John recommends something horrible, how well that goes. <laughs> oh, I stop. I stopped listening to John a long time ago. <laughs> Do you just meet him? <laughs> <laughs> I got on with my emails. <laughs> Hazel, have you watched Cat's Eyes from 1985? No. The Stephen King movie with Drew Barrymore. Yeah, watch that. You will see cats in a whole new light. Do I want to see cats in a whole new light? I think you should. <laughs> to actually oh. understand the truth about them. But I live with two of them. <laughs> yeah, and they're, they're plotting against you. <laughs> well, well, we know that. I knew that, yeah. <laughs> it's obvious. <laughs> I've been living in fear for 10 years just waiting for the moment it's going to happen oh brilliant what if we went to Peter next funny you should say that oh clever it's almost like you knew what I was going to talk about <laughs> almost I'd like to recommend Marvel's What If which is the latest of their TV shows to air on Disney Plus the concept's an intriguing one and very much taps into all the multiverse stuff which seems to be all over the place in the next phase of Marvel to me, this is all an attempt to get the movie and TV audience prepared to accept an idea that's often been seen in the comics, that there can be many versions of the same characters, many actors playing the same roles, and that things could have gone differently with just a few changes. The shows take familiar events in the MCU and show what might have happened in different circumstances. In the first three, we see what if Agent Carter had taken the super soldier serum instead of Steve Rogers? What if T'Challa had been adopted... What if T'Challa had been a... <laughs> Still can't say it. The bump did. The bump did. I can't do it. There we go. I think you tried to say adopted and abducted at the same time. <laughs> no, I was just trying for abducted. That was enough to confuse me. Um, what if T'Challa had been abducted as a child and become Star-Lord instead of Black Panther? Or what if the Avengers had all missed... <laughs> Ian's making funny noises. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thanks, Karis, for dubbing me out. <laughs> it's definitely with his mouth. <laughs> Let's all hope so. <laughs> or what if the Avengers had all mysteriously been murdered in their first movie, just as they were assembled? Mm. The idea comes from a successful line of one-off comics in the Marvel Universe. 
Being animated, these shows can recreate sets and costumes from all the movies and can even afford to have many of the actors reprising their roles without blowing their budgets. Is it reprising or reprising? It's reprising, isn't it? Do you live in America? <laughs> Not last time I looked. No, you live in Newcastle. It's reprising. <laughs> <laughs> you twat. <laughs> yeah, this is the man who pronounces Loki as Loki. So, you know, <laughs> starting from a low barrel, really. <laughs> oh, we love you, Peter. Don't give me a sympathy. Oh, you bastards. Look at his little face. Look at that. <laughs> Let's all bully Peter. You and your little, you know, incorrect pronunciations of everything. Adorable. Oh. Just remember who edits this podcast. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you think I knew this is going in, you wrong. I, I think you're great, Peter. I'm sorry. See, that's going in, but... <laughs> well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> On repeat. No, that, that's going to be my ringtone. <laughs> I found the first two stories a little superfluous, with few actual surprises. But all three were mostly good fun and had really enjoyable moments in them. And they seem to improve as you get used to the idea and what to expect from them. And I really enjoyed the third one about the Avengers. Has anyone else seen them? Yeah. Yeah, seen all three. I really, really liked Captain Carter. Loved it. Like Agent Carter, I think, I know she's got her own series and everything, but in the MCU, not particularly well served. But, oh, Captain Carter kicking Hydra ass was amazing. Steve Rogers is in it, but obviously doesn't get the serum and Agent Carter does. But their relationship is really interesting that you see play out during the episode. So that is probably my... F- mm. Do you know what? They're all good. They're all brilliant. I love seeing T'Challa as Star-Lord. It was wonderful to hear Chadwick Boseman's voice again. Because that was the last thing he did, I think. Yeah, I believe T'Challa is coming back in a later episode, so I don't think it's the last we've heard of him. But the way that he brings that character to life, because the voice of T'Challa is as important to the character as anything else, and he fought for that accent. Hmm. So just hearing his voice again was just amazing, and I thought that was a really inventive episode. People who just don't like animation as a medium don't really like the series, which is fair enough. But I think the fact that it is animated means that they can take greater leaps with the storytelling. I'm really enjoying it. Mm. Uh, It's a lot of fun. It doesn't feel as consequential as most Marvel stuff does. You could skip it if you wanted to, but you'd be missing out on some enjoyment. The first episode for me, I didn't think was quite as strong just from a story perspective, because it was just a, a flipping of the existing story from Captain America. You could have guessed it all, I think. That, that was my issue with it. More or less. Episodes two and three um, went more off the rails in a pleasing way and, and were um, a lot more down a completely different rabbit hole. It's quite short and breezy as well. The episodes are just over 30 minutes long, I think. It's, it's really fun. I look forward to Wednesdays and a, a new episode. Mm. Yeah, I think it's like a combination of what would you like to see and then here's some things that you'd never expect to see as well. I had a look and found out what sort of things they did in the comics. And they were things like, what if the Hulk had the brain of Bruce Banner? What if the original Marvel writers became the Fantastic Four? Which sounds like a very <laughs> weird episode. That's a very self-indulgent episode. And what if Captain America awoken in a dystopian America? Mm. Like, say, 2019. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've only watched 10 minutes of episode three, but so far it kind of feels like, um, imagine you've got this massive cow, right? And the cow's right. stuffed full of cash. And if you just pull the teats right, you can get more cash out of the cow. <laughs> <laughs> Save the universe 67 times. Let's do something else. Yeah. Maybe they should have like, like, gone Strictly Come Dancing. That'd be good, wouldn't it? All the, uh... Would be good. Chris Hemsworth has already done it. He's been on Dancing with the Stars Australia. 
Okay. I have not been watching what art on repeat. <laughs> but not as his character. Like, what if, if Thor did Strictly Come Dancing? Who would he dance with? Oh. It, it would be hammer time. It would be hammer time. I was, I was, I was <laughs> going down the lightning <laughs> route, but yeah, no, hammer time. <laughs> with his baggy pads and everything. I, I think that I have to agree with you there, Ian. That's why I don't really watch superhero stuff anymore. I'm so sick of it. It's all been done. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> Insert sound effect of door closing. <laughs> I'm tricky. This is an inclusive podcast. There is room for wrong opinions. Karis <laughs> <laughs> is just trying to find another excuse to be thrown off the podcast after failing to leave earlier. Shouting out dildos when you were talking about you wouldn't, didn't do it, but... <laughs> I did listen to the little uh, addition that you put on the latest episode about um, let's just not say anything, let's just start smashing the place up. Yeah, I love John's line about we're just going to be nailed to our seats, aren't we? <laughs> For a second when he said dildo, I thought that was a superhero name. I quite like that idea. That would be my superhero name for sure. And, uh, nipple clamp. <laughs> That's the sidekick. Dildo nipple clamp. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm back into superheroes again. Okay, All good. it took was a dildo. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great t-shirt, that. Here we go. It always goes down this route at the end, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so how many cash cows would you give What If out of ten? Um, seven and a half. That is fair. It's good fun. It's not consequential, but it's enjoyable. I'll allow it. Right then. Well, I'd like to recommend something a little bit different. It's an art exhibition. It's called Ray Harryhausen, Titan of Cinema, and it's being held at the Scottish National Gallery of Modern Art in Edinburgh. Hazel and I recently spent a few days in Edinburgh, and uh, we're lucky enough to be taken to this exhibition by fellow nerd Daniel Watkins. Hello! Uh, Ray Harryhausen may or may not be a familiar name, but you will know his work. Uh, he was the stop-motion special effects wizard behind Jason and the Argonauts, Clash of the Titans, One Million Years BC, the Sinbad movies, and many, 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 many more. In the days before CGI, he was on the cutting edge of movie special effects and created some of the most exciting and memorable monsters ever seen. The exhibition traces his whole career, beginning with how, as a youth, he was inspired by the original King Kong, all the way up to his influence on later generations of filmmakers, including the likes of Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, Tim Burton, Peter Jackson, Guillermo del Toro, and many more. It displays his creative process from initial sketches to model making to the painstaking animation process itself. So I especially loved seeing old film posters, Harryhausen's storyboards, uh, how the animation process he developed actually works. Uh, it was fascinating. And at the heart of the exhibition is a large collection of his models used in the actual films. So you can see the actual Kraken, Medusa, the Hydra, Pegasus, flying saucers, moon men and countless dinosaurs and all sorts. There's also a number of objects from Harryhausen's life and career, including his honorary BAFTA and his Lifetime Achievement Oscar. I already thought quite fondly of this style of animation before seeing this exhibition. I always thought it had a certain charm to it that you don't really get in, in modern special effects. But after seeing this, I've, I was still blown away by his incredible artistry, vision and skill. And I've now got a much, much larger appreciation for, for him and, and for the style. His ability to imbue his creations with character and emotion was absolutely amazing. The exhibition's a great tribute to him. Uh, and it's also just a paradise for movie nerds and a huge amount of fun. To see it in person, you will need to be in Edinburgh. If you can't make it to the Scottish National Gallery of Modern Art, don't despair. A version of the exhibition is available online. 
If you go to www.nationalgalleries.org, it's £10, but you can see everything I've described here and more from the comfort of your own home, and it'll be very much well worth the price. Do we know if it's going to tour? It's currently staying where it is until February 2022. I've not read anything that suggests it is going to tour. If it does, though, I'll very happily go see it again. What approach did he use to animating heads? Were they tiny little jointed models for jaws moving and things? Or was it more like Nightmare Before Christmas, where they had like thousands of different head shapes Mm. to do different expressions? Both. Okay. (laughs) There is a case of uh, just multiple heads, and it's kind of uh, creepy and cute at the same time. Um, There's an exhibition with about 20 hair heads. (laughs) It was the, the tortoise and the hare. Oh. oh, yeah, he animates some fairy tales and fables and yeah. such as well. Um, so uh, at times it was just um, put a different head on with a different expression, but other times they were more intricate models with moving parts and such. Uh, I've not seen a huge number of Harryhausen films. I am definitely, definitely going to uh, check out some more. But his, his later ones, in, in the 70s, he did three Sinbad films. And some of the creatures in, in that, there's a, there's a troglodyte, and I think it is, it, the eyebrows move and you get actually quite nuanced facial expressions and, and you, you feel for this, this character rather than it just being just a plasticine monster to smash things. Um, so I think later in the career he did develop um, perhaps larger and more intricate models and um, fiddled with the faces. And did you have a play with the green screen setup they have there? We did, we did, yeah. That was fun. <laughs> we fought the uh, skeleton army. Yeah, really? The gigantic green screen and they'd set it all up um, so that the skeletons came towards you with their shields and swords and everything. And uh, Andy cowered behind me, which uh, was it's useful Bravely. to know. Uh, in Bravely. Bravely uh, cowered behind you. In the event of a skeleton army. To prevent them from flanking us. Of course. Always thinking. (laughs) Protecting from the rear, I believe it's called. (laughs) Did you see on the screen uh, what the whole thing would look like while it was composited? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. really interesting. Those skeletons when I was a kid absolutely terrified me. Me too. They were just, oh, unbeatable. They were terrifying things. And the Medusa as well, the the glowing eyes, Mm -hmm. the snakes and the hair was Mm. just incredible. It was terrifying. Andy looked her in the eyes. (laughs) Which was a mistake. And he turned out a stone. <laughs> I did a bit. <laughs> you wish. I'm all right now. I got a cream. <laughs> At the end of the exhibition, there's a wall which explains how various filmmakers since then have been inspired by Ray Harryhausen and, you know, uh, the, the famous, the famous, uh, our, our Nerdfest symbol from uh, Tim Burton's Mars Attacks is a, a quite a loving homage to Harryhausen and all of these giants of cinema have taken a lot of inspiration from what he created we could see it everywhere we could see a little yoda Mm -hmm. in some of the characters he's more influential than i had any idea of before i went spielberg said um on the first jurassic park i want harryhausen but i want it real i can believe it yeah um Mm. we walked around thinking that this feels a little bit like jurassic park when we were looking at some of the creatures you know this it, it, it feels exactly like that the Jurassic Park was uh, Phil Tippett, who does a lot of stuff in the same way as Harry Harrison. Uh, he did stuff for the Star Wars movies like the Tauntauns and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think yeah. he worked on Robocop as well. Yeah. This, this area of stuff, it's all really interesting. Yeah. I think um, Harry Harrison's work works really well because of the supernatural and unreal nature of the thing he's often animating, like the skeletons. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. almost like that's how we now probably all imagine skeletons actually move because we're so used to seeing it in those yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Better than the humans in a lot of the films, I think. Yeah. They were the best thing in it. It's like, bring the monster back.
But as well as his work, I just really enjoyed reading his story. One of the best things that ever happened to him was being denied by Disney a job because that meant he could go on and do his own thing, which I thought was really inspiring for anyone who thinks that, you know, uh, they didn't get a job that they really wanted or something didn't happen for them that they were expecting and hoping for. Mm -hmm. There's another path waiting for you, which actually is going to lead you on to better things. And I think that that was really just really, really inspiring to read. Great, great, great guy. Amazing work he did, wasn't it? Absolutely. And so much patience. Yeah. Weeks and weeks to produce like two or three seconds of movement. Yeah. And for the most part, he worked alone. So it was all him. He had to do everything himself. But I suppose that gave him the control to do exactly the way he wanted. And um, good thing too, because the man was a hugely skilled, true artist. There are some instructions for wannabe animators on how they can do this themselves, which I found quite interesting. You just need to set up your uh, smartphone on a pile of books or a tripod, make sure it doesn't move. Put the thing that you want to animate in front of the camera and take a photo, move it a little bit uh, and keep moving it and taking photos. And once you've done this 12 times, you'll have one second of animation. Wow. So you've got to have a bit of patience. But uh, if you want the Harryhausen effect, that's how we did it. The Harryhausen effect, like that. (laughs) That's a good name for a band. (laughs) Yeah, so go to Scotland, see this thing. It sounds brilliant and a wonderful piece of uh, cinematic history. How many Harry houses out of 10? <laughs> 10 Harry houses out of 10. It's really wonderful. Opened my eyes even wider than they were before. I had an amazing <laughs> time and uh, I think everyone else will too. And then thank me later. Yeah, it's a very special experience. So, sorry, thank you later. Was it, thank you later. <laughs> thank you later. Whatever you want, really. <laughs> You're married now, can't do it anymore. <laughs> right, what have we got for our last one? I would like to recommend a new film currently out in cinemas, and it is called The Courier. Uh, it is not it's about someone who makes curries. No, it's not. It's not about curries. It's not, unfortunately, an expose on how shite Hermes are. Um, it's probably going to get sued anyway. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a film set in the Cold War, and it stars Benedict Cumberbatch uh, taking on the real life role of Greville Wynne. Greville is a salesman who gets recruited by the secret intelligence service to deliver messages to a high-ranking member of the Soviet government. He is called Oleg Penkovsky, and Oleg has developed, shall we say, some mixed feelings about his country's growing fondness for nuclear missiles, and as a result has turned into a spy for MI6 and the CIA. So this is a really classic fish-out-of-water story. Greville is very posh, very polite, wouldn't harm a fly sort of person. As a salesman, he has dealings with countries in Eastern Europe. uh, And that just so happens to lead him into this most extraordinary of circumstances. And it is such a delight to see him realise that he's like talking to MI6 and is like, you want me to do what? But then he actually delights himself with how good he is at being a spy. So after his first job, he arrives to dinner with uh, his secret intelligence contacts, uh, who are played by Rachel Brosnahan and Angus Wright. And he is beaming. He's like, he's so pleased with himself after after what he's just done. And just watching that is really, really fun. At the heart of the film is Greville's growing relationship with Oleg uh, Penkovsky. The two develop an incredible bond. So when the stakes get really, really critical... It's that relationship and how much they care about each other, which is what I most loved about the film. 
So it is a drama, I would say maybe relatively slow burner. So you probably shouldn't be expecting any sort of James Bond or Mission Impossible type action sequences or great escapes or anything like that. This is all about very low-key heroics. Saying that, it felt riveting throughout it. And I think that's got a lot to do with the tension that gets built up and heightened and heightened and heightened. It's also got a lot to do with the performances. So I think it's Benedict Cumberbatch's best role since probably the role of Alan Turing. Mm. Rachel Brosnahan, uh, aka the marvellous Mrs. Maisel, is fantastic. Merib Nimitz plays Oleg Penkovsky. He is one of the most expressive actors that I have ever seen. So you're basically living his story through his eyes. Like he doesn't need to say much. You can tell exactly how he's feeling at any point during the film. And I really hope he gets recognised for his performance because he's just got one of those amazing faces. It's an extraordinary true story. It takes you through the most critical years of the Cold War leading up to the Cuban Missile Crisis. But I would advise if you don't know the story, do not look it up on Wikipedia before you go. Because it's such an incredible story that you're better off going in, not having a clue about these people and the impact that they made uh-huh. on the outcome of the war. <laughs> going cold, if you'll pardon me. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a, a fantastic film, really well executed. I would say if you liked Bridge of Spies, that you'll probably like this too. But I do think this film is probably a little lighter in parts than Bridge of Spies and a little bit more focused. It is playing in cinemas right now and is the perfect Sunday afternoon kind of film. It has that old school spy adventure sort of feel to it. So really, really liked it. I agree with absolutely everything you've said there. The um, only thing I'd add is, is uh, my, my particular admiration for, for the ending. As you said, the, the tension just goes up and up and up throughout the film. And there was a point at which I felt it was going to end. And I thought, oh, yeah, this will this will be a nice little conclusion. And then it, it just goes on and on Ooh. from there. And <laughs> yeah. it gets bigger and bolder and it packed an emotional punch by the end. And mm-hmm. I just absolutely loved this film. I thought it was great. It's the kind of film where you kind of go in and thinking, yeah, you know, might enjoy this. And it's like for two hours, you're just in the cinema going, what an incredible story. And I love that feeling. I love the power of cinema when that happens to you. Yep, and they do it all without uh, quips and uh, CGI <laughs> action and, explosions yeah. <laughs> and gunfights and all sorts. Um, it, I, I don't think there's any action in it that I can remember, and no. it's just just phenomenal. So um, how many Cuban cigars out of 10 <laughs> would you give this? <laughs> Before they became banned. Oh, do you know what? I'd, I will go with nine. It's a high nine recommendation for price. me. Yeah, It's a lot of cigars. <laughs> it is, yeah. Should come with a warning. <laughs> right, great round of recommendations, but we are not done yet because Andy is going to test our nerdy brains with a cryptic quiz. Would you like to explain, Andy? I've stolen a format from a TV quiz show, uh, Richard Osman's House of Games. So what I'm going to do is ask you all a pair of questions and you must answer them both at the same time by squishing both answers together. The answer to the first question will be the name of an actor. The answer to the second will be the name of an unrelated film. It's not necessarily a film the actor was in, just a film. The end of the actor's name will be the start of the name of the film. Okay. So let me give you an example. Um, I could say, actor who played Han Solo and Indiana Jones, and then 2019 motor racing film starring Christian Bale and Matt Damon. The answer you should give me is Harrison Ford versus Ferrari. Ford, Ferrari, yeah. Uh, So you must give the answer in the correct squished together format. If you said Harrison Ford and Ford versus Ferrari, you would score no points and I would shame you. 
So we're looking for answers <laughs> like, yeah, well, that's that's the way. <laughs> we're looking for answers like Olivia Cole, Man of Steel, Regina King's speech, Johnny Departed, and so on. So does that make sense? Are yes. you with me? We'll see. Yes, thank you. Right, excellent. Um, I have high hopes for this quiz, so we're playing for high stakes here. Each correct answer will net you one million points. Oh. I know. Oh, points. Incorrect answers, answers in the wrong format, or half answers will score nothing. So if you know the first half, it doesn't do you any good. Use it to get you to the second half. Everyone's playing every round, so be prepared to buzz in when you have it. Okay. Uh, or honk, okay. or squeal, or just <laughs> threaten, intimidate, make some sort of noise. Um, right. Please answer quickly, though, if you are obviously working it out after you buzz. I'll have to shut you down. <laughs> are we ready? Yes. yes. Number one. Legendary Hong Kong martial arts star from the 1970s and film in which Reese Witherspoon is a fashionable sorority girl who goes to Harvard Law School. Buzz. Buzz. Peter. Uh, Bruce Legally Blonde. Correct. Ah. One million yeah. points Damn to it. you. <laughs> Number two. Iconic sex symbol from the 50s and 60s who sang Happy Birthday to JFK and a Patrick Swayze film in which he works as a bouncer at a roadside bar. Oh, Buzz. Yeah. Marilyn Monroe House. Correct. Oh, <laughs> I couldn't remember the film. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> right, number three. Oscar winning actor known for his distinctive deep voice, which is perfect for narration, and a biopic about Andy Kaufman starring Jim Carrey. Buzz. Hazel. Um, Morgan Free Man on the Moon. Correct. One million points to you. <laughs> Well number four. There are ten questions, by the way. Uh, number four. Better known as an excellent director, but has acted as a baby in her father's masterwork and as an adult in the terrible third instalment of that same franchise. And a Schwarzenegger action film in which a child uses a magic ticket Buzz. to enter the world of the movie. Buzz. That's Sophia Coppola's last action hero. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> You're too fast for me. <laughs> hey, this is great playing these games when John's not around. <laughs> Number five. Actor who has appeared in more Marvel films than anyone, not named Stanley, but hasn't actually been the main star once. And a terrible, insipid sequel to a classic 1994 comedy starring Jim Carrey and Cameron Buzz. Diaz. Hazel. Samuel L. Jackson of The Mask. Correct. Oh, <laughs> nice, nice. So at the halfway stage, uh, Peter's in the lead with three million points. Hazel just behind with two million points. Karis and Ian have zero. Can you, can you count that again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a recount. Number six. Dearly loved British actor known for Shakespearean roles playing Queens Elizabeth and Victoria and also being M in the James Bond series. And a harrowing black and white Second World War drama which netted Spielberg an Oscar for Best Director. Judy Dench Schindler's List. Correct. Oh, I was like, I knew their wow. answers, but surely not. <laughs> That's one of the most tenuous. <laughs> Number seven. Actor known for playing Tony Montana in Scarface, amongst many other roles, and Coen Brothers Thriller, which I thought was a bit shit, starring Javier Bardem as an assassin. Keris. Uh, Al Pacino, Country for No Men. <laughs> yep. Old Men. I will take it. Yeah, you're on the board with one million points. Get in. 
Right, are we ready for question eight? Yes. Yes. Be careful with this one. Actor known for being painted blue in Avatar and green in Guardians of the Galaxy and 1997 horror comedy film in which a man crosses the Atlantic and then turns into a big dog in France's capital. Buzz. Hazel. Zoe Saldana, werewolf in Paris? It's so close, but not quite right, I'm afraid. Anyone else? Buzz, Zoe Saldana, werewolf in London. An American werewolf in London. An American uh... werewolf in Paris. Zoe Saldana, <laughs> an American werewolf in Paris. I have to Paris. take your first answer, I'm afraid. Anyone else want to buzz, buzz in? Oh, here we Do go. Ian. Ian's hand is up. Zoe Saldana, an American werewolf in Paris. Correct. Ian's on the board. <laughs> Yay! One million points. Join us, Ian. <laughs> Number nine. Exuberant American actor, best known for comedy films, but also appeared in a serious role in Peter Jackson's King Kong and 2001 Ridley Scott war film about a disastrous American incursion into Bears! Somalia. Ian. Jack Blackhawk Down. Correct. Oh, nice. <laughs> Come on. And the final one. Winner of the Best Actress Oscar for her performance opposite Anthony Hopkins when he won his first for Best Actor, and 1991 sci-fi action film, which was the most expensive movie ever made at that time. Her name's gone out of my head. What's wrong with me? Oh, my God. What was the year again? 1991. Sci-fi action. First $100 million movie. Yeah, I know the two answers, but they don't connect. Hang on. <laughs> then probably one of them's wrong. Oh. Okay, I'm going to try. Buzz. Yeah. Olivia Colmenator? No, Terminator? Ah! Nope. <laughs> no. I don't know what that was. <laughs> Could you read the clue again, please? I can. Uh, so, the winner of the Best Actress Oscar for her performance opposite Anthony Hopkins when he won his first Oscar oh. for Best Actor. Oh, I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah. And yes, you are. 1991 sci-fi action film, which was the most expensive movie ever made at that time. What's a fucking name? Oh, yeah, the Buzz. Ian. Jodie Foster name the yeah. <laughs> Jodie Foster Nomator. <laughs> so no one's actually said the answer right yet. Right yet. Buzz. Jodie Foster Nomator. Come on. Buzz. Jodie Foster Terminator 2. It's correct, Peter. Oh. <laughs> Just to get my revenge. Um, right, and that's the end of the quiz. And our winner with uh, a massive, whopping, very impressive five million points is Peter. Yay. <laughs> well done, Peter. Thank you. Great quiz. Love that. Uh, it's really fun to come up with. And that is all for today's episode of Nerdfest. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in a few weeks' time with some more nerdy nonsense. Until then, there's a couple of things that you can do for us, if we could be so bold. You can follow us on social media. We're at Nerdfest UK, and we'll bring you our takes on the week's nerdy news. You can also leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to our podcast, which would help us out enormously with those algorithm-type things. And I believe Keris and Ian... You have a reward for our listeners, is that right? We will come to your house with Harryhausen and recreate our sex <laughs> tips <laughs> in graphic detail. 
Excellent. So, you know, if you were considering leaving us a five-star review, I'm sure that will have convinced you. (laughs) Until next time, you've been listening to... A man who's feeling inspired to go buy some plasticine and a camera. (laughs) A man who's going to go and play some drums. A woman who is now living in 90s Hollywood. (laughs) A man who is hysterically funny in an alternate universe. (laughs) (laughs) And a woman who hasn't just got married and changed her name because she's secretly a Russian spy. Because that is not (laughs) what has happened here. (laughs) I knew it. (laughs) We'll see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, so weird, Karis. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> In an awesome way. I love the way you take that as a compliment. <laughs> if I was going to be murdered, then it would be Karis I'd like to murder me. You do it in a very interesting, yeah, entertaining way. Yeah, that's the sweetest thing you've ever said. Make it into a form of art. (laughs) Thank you, I would.